having a vision that you express clearly and yet you crystallize on paper like this, the best possible future self, which is not delusional. This is based on the everyday efforts you're going to make and the commitment you're making. That is a wonderful way to build optimism, to build positivity, to build resilience, to dissolve feelings of negativity and toxic stress. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. Dr. Mark Rowe, welcome to the show. The two of us here were speaking there a couple of months ago and saying we're really, really excited and looking forward to speaking with you today. How are you? I'm great, David and Kieran. I'm delighted to be on your podcast to chat about all things well-being and vitality. We said rather than being in the doctor's chair, uh, a tip to your <laughs> podcast, which we both listen to, you're, you're in the physio's chair today with two physios. So uh, it should be a bit of fun. It certainly will. We have to dive straight in and ask you, vitality, what does it mean to you and what would you like people to understand by the word vitality? Great question. And you know, for me, I think vitality, it, it, it's an active word. And it's really demonstrating how interconnected the various elements of our health are. You know, the World Health Organization, I think it was back around 1949, they said health is more than the absence of disease. It's a state of complete physical, mental and relational well-being. And really, I think vitality is building on that. It's really expressing positive health through the lens of mind, emotion, body, spirit, understanding those elements are all interconnected and underpinned by your sense of purpose, who you are in the world. And on top of that, the environments that you spend your time in. So, you know, I'm talking not just about the inner environments of thought and emotion, but the outer environments, uh, whether you're out in nature or whether you spend a lot of your time indoors. And those environments can all be health enhancing or health depleting. And, you know, someone might say, well, you know, I'm fine just the way I am. And that's great. And I would never suggest to anybody that they need to change. But ironically, we're all constant. Everything is constantly changing. It's the only cha it's the only constant in life at a cellular level. You know, your your skin cells change very regularly. Your blood cells change every few months. Even 10 percent of your bone cells change each year. So we're always changing. And really, I suppose the question for everyone to consider is, are you interested in changing in a more in health and health enhancing manner as opposed to a health depleting manner? And if you are, then my work in the area of vitality may well be of interest. And we love that piece and of how the lifestyle first approach to kind of ward off mm. chronic disease. And it's something that, you know, the two of us here can relate to. I mean, that's a huge part as to why we work in well-being ourselves, because prevention, you know, injury prevention, even for physios, 
How did you get into really understanding that lifestyle as medicine was was nearly a calling for you? It is my calling. And, and thanks for being kind enough to say that because it's me being my purpose. And it's really why I'm so grateful to be on your podcast, to, to share my messages of positivity with, with your audience. And I suppose really, I mean, I've been a GP for over 25 years. I've always been interested in people. I think that's what attracted me to general practice. It's very people centered. And of course, then the, the, when the last economic crash came, I just built a beautiful uh, health park in Waterford. It's a, it was a former Pugin Design Convent. And, you know, we went in there and we, the HSE had space on site. There's physiotherapy on site. There was kind of an, an enhanced range of GP services. And then the crash came and we had so many patients lost their jobs and were living, you know, with negative equity in their homes, no income or certainly greatly reduced income. And there was a huge number of people with really suffering from negative stress. And, you know, young people, particularly in construction, who had no commitments, generally left, emigrated, you know, went to Australia, Canada, even Britain. But a lot of people were left trapped. You know, they needed more than just pills or Prozac, as I say, even though some people were clinically depressed and needed medication. And I'm not, I would never poo-poo medication. You know, medication can be absolutely invaluable. And I'm a scientist and I'm a doctor and I would never say throw out the pills or whatever, but I'm saying we need so much more than that. And people at that time, they needed what I say was a, was a sense of hope, uh, a renewed sense of purpose and possibility. So I began to look at, I really began to look at these lifestyle ideas then, not just the benefits of, of of exercise and movement, which are pretty well established, but really getting out in nature and moving, the benefits of keeping a written journal, the benefits of, of, of building a gratitude practice into your daily life, the benefits of reframing challenging situations from your past through the lens of how can I grow as opposed to what have I lost, learning the skills of mindfulness. Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful idea, you know, paying attention on purpose in the present moment without necessarily judging yourself or overjudging yourself. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful way to clear out feelings of anxiety and inadequacy and, and toxic stress. And, you know, th there's such great potential in writing things down. And I studied, obviously, the philosophers. Uh, I consider myself a bit of a stoic lads, you know, mm -hmm. learning to reflect on your experiences and, and, and hopefully grow and, and, and gain new perspectives from that. And that's something I had to do in my own life as well. I mean, it was it was it was a very challenging time. Um, the crash for people that were here. There's people still dealing with legacy issues from it. And in our own situation, you know, we had we had big emergency financial cuts. Uh, I was employing 25, 26 people uh, in the backdrop of really a huge tsunami of, of increased need. You know, it was a difficult time. So I really had to learn to apply these lifestyle ideas in my own life. And I, I'm a great believer in that. You know, actions do speak louder than words. And if you really want to to encourage people to be that better version of themselves and make positive changes, you need to walk the walk yourself. You know, actions speak louder than words and people are very perceptive. People are very good at picking up on uh, how you actually are yourself and how you are dealing with stress and how you are in that space when, when, when you meet them. People are very perceptive. And, you know, I, I really believe that if, you're, if your actions align with your words and you're coming from a place of 
authenticity and if you're coming from a place of humility and if you're coming from a place of science and evidence because at the end of the day uh it's not my my opinion here i'm i'm actually sharing solid science from around the world then i think you have more credibility and i think you are more likely to bring people with you it sparked plenty of thoughts in my head but one that's really sticking out there is and I love it because it's the idea of wellness is often portrayed as you have to be in Bali or you have to be in the Bahamas mm. and you have to have oh. a lovely beach beside you. It's not always like that for us. We are in environments, especially in Ireland sometimes, where it's actually quite grey. It can seem quite miserable. You're facing the deadlines and work. There's mm. trouble at home. You're facing a lot of challenge with uncertainty around the pandemic. When these messages of positivity come through social media about wellness, sometimes it can create a resistance towards for people towards looking into lifestyle medicine or simple acts of mindfulness and meditation. Is there anything you'd give advice to the population of Ireland and, and further abroad to, to understand that even in the difficult times when you're on that Lewis in Dublin and it's raining on a Tuesday morning and you're feeling quite down, that these things can still have a great effect and that we actually should look to them instead of trying to only focus on when we're on our holidays that we do this? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it was Aristotle who said, you know, miracles are made in the clay, not in the stars. And it's something I'm, I'm a real advocate of that for me, the messages of lifestyle medicine are right here, right now, today, wherever you are, whatever is going on. It's not about this uh, delusional idea of perfectionism or when you're off on the retreat or whatever it is. It's right here, right now. And I think the starting point has to be what I would call self-compassion, being kind to yourself, accepting that things are never perfect in anyone's life, accepting that life brings setbacks and struggles and challenges for all of us. And at the same time, you know, tr treating yourself, as I say, lads, like your, like your best friend. I mean, if your best friend came up and asked you for advice, something they were struggling with, you'd be patient, you'd be kind, you'd listen, you'd offer support, but offer that to yourself, you know, don't beat yourself up with, with that inner critic. Become more curious, as I say, about negative emotions, because, you know, it's really interesting. The architecture of the human brain is fascinating. And, you know, we're hardwired for fear. We're hardwired for anxiety. We're hardwired for survival. You know, negative emotion is so is so sticky, as I say, you know, it's like Velcro. It sticks to you. You know, happiness and positivity and positive emotion is more like Teflon. It's, it's very fleeting. We all experience negative emotion. We all have tough days and tough times. And that's absolutely as it should be because you're human. We're all human. And sometimes there is this idea, I think, in wellness that, you know, that just think positive and everything will be fine. And of course, that's not the way it is. And that's not the way it ever can be, really, because we're emotional. We're human beings, not human beings. And the emotional brain, the amygdala, overrides the logical thinking part of the brain. And that's why it can be so helpful, no matter what's going on in your life, to have, have some foundational habits to support you. And they're not going to magic away all the problems in your life or all the challenges, but they're going to ground you in a position of of well-being to give you, as I say, the resilience. Uh, I think resilience is, is a great word, but the resilience, the buffer to support you in tough times and also the opportunity to make the best of good times. And just to chunk it up a little bit more, Mark, we, we had Dr. Tim Sharp from Australia couple of months back and we kind of dived into happiness with him and obviously mm. having a look at your self-development club it's and just building on the the emotional piece that you've touched on what do we understand about happiness and how important is that in terms of a question for us to think about each and every day 
I was consumed with this idea of happiness about eight years ago, so much so I, I wrote a book called A Prescription for Happiness and I did a one man show for theatre audiences in Ireland called uh, A Prescription for Happiness. So it's something I know a little bit about. And what's, what's really interesting about happiness is that so little of your, let's call it happiness, comes from your life circumstances. Now, of course, you know, terrible things can happen to, and do happen to people in the world. So I'm not sort of saying uh, that we should ignore that. But by and large, what I mean is that material comforts, once you have a roof over your head and three square meals a day, material comforts provide little boost in long-term happiness because of a very important psychological principle known as hedonic adaptation, which really means we adapt to our circumstances. That's a tremendously advantageous survival tool for us as humans. We can adapt to tough times, but we also adapt to good times. So that's why having more won't necessarily make you feel any happier. A certain amount of your potential happiness is, is inherited and is genetic. I mean, twin studies I think it was in Minnesota showed about 50% of your potential happiness was inherited. Now, it may actually be less than that uh, because of all this exciting research being done now, which you'll know about about the epigenome, the kind of master switch that controls, that controls how your genes express themselves. But let's say there is a certain percentage that's inherited. They'd say it could be up to 50%. That leaves about 40% of your potential happiness each day or more is down to the habits you choose to do or not do. And there's so many things you can do to feel better, whether it's expressing gratitude, learning to be kind to others and yourself, uh, exercise and movement, learning to simplify your spaces and declutter, cultivating a rich sense of purpose, robust relationships, exploring your spiritual side, whatever that means to you, and was connecting with your values, which is a really great driver of inner purpose. So these are all things that you can do to boost your happiness. I actually think, you know, having written a book on happiness uh, eight years ago and having spoken extensively about this topic called happiness, I can honestly say I think it's a word that's very misunderstood. And, and I think language matters and words matter. I think many people, when they hear the word happiness, they conjure up ideas of I'll be happy when, you know, I'll be happy when everything is perfect or when all this stuff is when the exams are over or I'll be, I'll be happy when I'm on my holidays or I'll be happy when everything is perfect in my life or when I win the lot or whatever it is. It is that's happiness. And kind of that's kind of portrayed in the media, whereas really happiness is that emotional well-being, having that ratio of positivity. They talk about, you know, a ratio of, of three to one positive emotion to negative emotion that really creates that tipping point that enables you to flourish in your personal life, work life and relationships. So I think happiness is often is often misunderstood. And I, that's why I think really vitality is, is, is a much more vibrant, much more inclusive word, because really happiness, really, at the end of the day, it's really largely contained to your emotional side of things, uh, which is really only one of my four pillars for vitality. We have a lot of leaders that would listen to this, leaders in the sporting world, in the corporate world, leaders of any space. And we're really drawn to your leadership triangle. And you've kind of touched on purpose already. You've mentioned values, mm. something close to home for us. So that kind of triangle with vision, values, and vitality. We'd love mm. you to talk through the essence around that. Well, it's really this idea that everything is so interconnected. I think, you know, if we start with vision, what is the vision for your life? I mean, there's brilliant research has been done on 
in positive psychology known as the best possible future self. And this is a wonderful way to build a, a, a more mindful, optimistic version of you. And it's really, you know, getting out a piece of paper and, and writing a paragraph of what will life be like for you in five years time? What sort of health do you want to have in five years time? What sort of vitality do you want to have? What type of career are you going to have? How are you going to develop yourself in the next five years? What books are you going to read? Where are you going to travel to? Who are you going to share your time with? So having having a vision that you express clearly and yet you crystallize on paper like this, the best possible future self, which is not delusional. This is based on the everyday efforts you're going to make and the commitment you're making. That is a wonderful way to build build optimism, to build positivity, to build resilience, to dissolve feelings of negativity and, and, and toxic stress. So I think that's vision. And of course, values, secondly, is so, so important. For me, values are everything. If you live your life through, your, through the lens of your values, there's, n- there's nowhere you need to hide. I mean, that's, that's it's the essence of who you are as a person. And, you know, it's a very famous values exercise uh, it was done in Stanford University. It's been replicated more than 100 times around the world where, you know, they got, they got students t- to going home for Christmas break. They put them into two groups. One group just wrote about their experiences, positive things that happened over their holiday. Second group wrote about how their everyday lives connected with their values. So they, they, they became really clear on what their values were. And they really became intentional about expressing those values, focusing on them. And they, you know, looked at these people afterwards and they found the people who really tuned into their values, um, they were healthier, their immune system strengthened, and they were happier. In other words, their well-being increased, improved, and they were more resilient. They were hardier. So, you know, this has been shown in many studies since around the world that really what's called the values exercise, getting really crystal clear on your values is a wonderful way to build resilience, build well-being, and become really, really clear on who you are. So I think vision, values, and those two things then really do connect with vitality. And these, these are a triangle. They're, they're all really interconnected. And I think that's so important for leaders and for leadership. Really important idea that actions speak louder than words. And in terms of, you know, if you're looking at organizational well-being, it is a leadership proposition. You know, everybody really is interested in what the leader thinks about this in terms of whether lip service is paid to this idea of well-being or whether it's this is really important. Is it, is it, does it connect to the values of the organization? So that's why my triangle of vision, values and vitality is there on my website, because I think it's, it's really important. That's so good. And it, it touches into, you mentioned, you alluded to a few times, um, everyday behaviors, actions we take. If you were to sort of take your whole model, take your four pillars, your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and there's still maybe two to three behaviors that you'd like to see more people take on from today. Would you have two or three favorites or two or three that you would feel would promote the most vitality in individuals? It's a great question. And of course, everyone is different. And and my hand of vitality really recognizes that your thumbprint is different to everyone else's Mm -hmm. because we're all unique. So I, I never liked the idea of a kind of a cookbook recipe because every, and that's the essence of my vitality mark, that well-being measurement tool, because you can measure how you're doing. Having said that, I'm going to give you three. You've asked for three, so I'll give you three. If you want more, I can give, give you loads more. You know, I would start with sleep, you know, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. Benjamin Franklin, so important, early to bed. You know, today's well-being really began with the quality and quantity of your sleep last night. And I suppose 
in terms of the potential upside, I meet so many people in my practice who still bring their mobile phones to bed, who either use them as alarm clocks or they, they scroll. They have a habit of scrolling either late night emails or whatever, social media. So this idea of having a proper wind down at night, I think, is really invaluable. Uh, sleep does not start the moment your head hits the pillow. It's a process um, that starts at least 90 minutes beforehand. So you honor your body, honor your circadian rhythm by gifting yourself a proper wind down at night. Um, and I learned this myself the hard way. I used to bring my own phone to bed and now I leave my phone plugged in to a docking station in the kitchen. And uh, I would always try and have my phone off by, by nine o'clock, 9.30 the latest. It's just a habit. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. We make our habits, our habits make us. But getting a good night's sleep, I mean, it's amazing how, how critical sleep is and we still know so little about it. But what little we do know is that it is really, really important. Your brain squeezes like a sponge when you're sleeping, clearing out all those broken bits of clutter and DNA. Uh, sleep encodes memory. Uh, REM sleep is incredibly important to extinguish feelings of fear and anxiety. You know, and if you look at the data around people who are sleep deprived, if physically, you know, diabetes, increased heart disease, road traffic accidents, accidents at work, long term increased risk of dementia, increased uh, anxiety, increased tendency to depression, increased difficulty in the addiction space, dealing with cravings, burning a hole in your willpower muscle. I mean, there's just so many downsides to lack of sleep. And of course, because you live in your own head, because we all live in our own heads, in our own space, between our own two ears, we're often the, the last person to become aware of it. So that's number one. Number two, I would say, is move more, create more micro moments of movement during your day. Whether it's, I love to, when I teach young medical students or young GPs in training, I'll often bring them for a walk around the block for our teaching sessions. And I call it talking. So you're like piggybacking more exercise and movement onto something else that you can do. And you can think of all the ways you can do that. But the more you can move, the better, generally. And, and the third idea I would give is this idea. And I mean, you know, there's so much you can do in terms of writing things down and gratitude and so on. But the third thing I'd like to talk about is this idea of becoming more mindful. And mindfulness, as I've already said, is about, you know, paying attention on purpose in the present moment without uh, judging your inner critic or, or the thoughts that you're having while you're doing that. There's so many ways we can become more mindful, but really uh, the mindful pause, the mindful breath is really such a simple, effective and powerful way to dissolve feelings of stress and anxiety, kind of reset your brain and reset you in a space of more presence. And of course, when we're here and we're fully present and engaged with whatever we're doing, and we're having our conversation now on the podcast, you're a more effective communicator. You're a better listener. You're able to respond more effectively as opposed to potentially reacting. You know, you also increase your heart rate variability, which can support longevity and certainly reduces your risk of heart disease because it increases cardiac coherence and it just tunes you in more effectively to being present and you know that is really such a gift to you and anyone you're speaking with or listening to to be fully fully there and not to be distracted the, the world is so distracted and you know we we all breathe 12 to 15 times a minute or so it's an automatic behavior and if you said to yourself well you know i'm going to stop breathing now for half an hour um because i just tired of it your automatic breathing center would uh, think very differently so you will breathe regardless 
and but you can control the rate and depth at which you breathe and by intentionally slowing your breathing down to maybe four or five breaths for just one minute just gifting yourself one minute it's 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 a wonderful thing to do and you can do it anywhere you can do it driving in your car just keep your eyes open of course you can do it in bed at night you can do it before or after that important business call you know, it's something I, I have a self-development club now each month and I really, people sometimes say, well, what do you teach on this self-development club on Zoom each month? And I say, well, I just teach two things. I teach learning by doing, which is all the different strategies in lifestyle as medicine. And I also teach learning by being and learning by being because being is the best place we can, we can spend our time being. And mindful-based breathing exercises are such a great way to learn that skill of being more present. So much to this and... We wouldn't want to be anywhere else with anyone else doing anything different than this, right? That's what they talk about, presentness. Love to dig into something that you've obviously acknowledged has been part of your your story. And maybe you've even touched on the antidotes to it because you've touched on sleep, you've touched on movement, you've touched on mindfulness. For those people that are busy being busy, how can we ward off burnout? Because it's something we've talked to Dr. Chris Luke recently about. We do some work with some US pro sport teams about how to reduce burnout in their organizations. But you've you've kind of written the book on it, as it were, and you've also lived through it. So what is it about burnout that maybe people really need to understand a little bit more? Maybe they need to even acknowledge they have it. Well, burnout is epidemic. And, you know, I experienced my burnout probably in late 2013 and it was a tsunami. It was like for me, it was like a perfect storm of working incredibly hard. I was always a hard worker and I, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with hard work, but I, I didn't balance it with, with kind of taking good care of myself. So I was burning the candle at every end in terms of, in terms of work. A couple of people that were very close to me had, had died and I didn't grieve them properly. And uh, there, was, there was a lot of work stressors at the time through a combination of, of demand and uh, there was financial pressures as well. So there was a lot going on. And so I really had to, I took some time out. I, I, I did what I would tell anyone to do as a, as, a, as a doctor, go and speak to somebody, get some help. And I did. And it was wonderful. And, you know, when, when you do go for, for CBT and, you know, there's an opportunity for somebody that's, that's not in your space, that you're not related to, that, that can just objectively get you or challenge you to look at the thoughts you're having and some of the beliefs you have about those thoughts and hold them up to the light and realize that you can actually see things a bit differently. I think that that's a, a wonderful tool for, for anybody in life because everybody has has tough times and everybody has things that happen and going and speaking to somebody can, can be can be invaluable. I mean, for me, I, le- I learned I learned that I'd never grieved the loss of uh, people that were really close to me. Because I was, my mindset was, you know, I'm, I, I'm the doctor, and I'm, I'm bulletproof, and the show must go on. And of course, what's really interesting, if you look at the health of doctors around the world, guys, you'll see that uh, if you, if, if you ask the, the medics, they'll, they'll generally say their health is excellent or very good. But if you look at the, be underneath the surface, you'll see an epidemic of whether it's mental health issues or, or drug addiction or chronic disease. Uh, so there's a mismatch there and and certainly caring can be incredibly wearing and it was for me and I needed to learn that if, for me to effectively take care of others and that's my purpose in the world is, is really service and I'm really clear on that. I needed to also take good care of myself. That was something I had to learn and sometimes in life the only way you learn these things is through your own experiences 
And that's why, you know, as I was talking about the Stoics earlier on, you know, learning to reflect on your experiences and create that bit of space to to think about what happened and why, what does it mean and, and, and how can you grow from it can be so, so invaluable. But so that was me. And I, you know, I kind of rediscovered my purpose and moved on and, and moving on in the moving on has led to our current conversation many years later about, about vitality and well-being. And I know it is really so important. And what I would say to anyone listening is that, you know, you're not bulletproof. No one is. And everyone has a tipping point, particularly a lot of people now are working in, you know, the world has become increasingly interconnected and very busy and people are very distracted. People are under a lot of pressure. You need to really take good care of yourself, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, in terms of your relationships, to give yourself that buffer, that resilience buffer. There is a big difference between burnout and depression. And I think it's important just to kind of highlight that. Burnout is generally work-related. Um, in, in the sense that the feelings are greatly intensified when you're in the workplace um, and they can be due to factors in the workplace or and or factors in the individual. So, you know, it might be that at work you've just got simply too much to do or you don't have the resources or there's role ambiguity or, you know, there's perceived unfairness. There's lots of different things that can happen when you put people together. Then, of course, in the individual, you know, if if, if you don't, take good care of yourself, if you don't know how to recharge from stress, if you're always on that type A perfectionistic personality, I suppose, is, is more prone to it as well. And, and I mean, I suppose the three key features of burnout, feeling emotionally exhausted, as I say, it's it's like um, if, if it's a car, it's like the, the air in the tires has gone flat. So you're emotionally exhausted. Um, you have um, a kind of a sense of you know, no matter how hard you work, you're getting less and less done, a kind of lack of personal accomplishment and then feeling maybe hypercritical or just kind of a bit depersonalized. And, you know, I off, I used to describe my, my own experience of burnout. It was like if I thought of myself as being like a wet sponge, it was like I was just progressively squeezed drier and drier until I hadn't a drop left to give. My tank was empty. You know, I took some I went and spoke to somebody. I took some time out and recharged. But of course, I learned that you don't need to wait till your tank is empty to recharge. We can allow ourselves to recharge every day with those small little vitality and health supporting habits that prevent us from tipping over into burnout. Well, we're just um, so much to that as well, Mark. And just everyone check out the self-development because we're both going to be signing up to that to learn from you, Mark. Oh, fantastic. Last question for me, and then I'll kick it over to Kiran. Life lessons. You've got it on your website. You've got Marcus Aurelius, Plato, Seneca, big names from the Stoic world that you've touched on several times. Mm. And, you know, we've we've looked at School of Life by Alan de Botton and these kind of sort of institutions. Would you, would you point people to looking at Stoicism and, and what would that maybe give people? Because it seems to be something we're seeing a lot more over the last 10 years. And, you know, there's certain authors that are starting to popularize it a little bit. Yeah, I think I think Stoic philosophy is wonderful. It's really, it really comes down to acceptance, accepting what you can change, having the courage as well to change what you can and the wisdom to know the difference. I mean, that's the serenity prayer, but I think in many ways it encapsulates uh, stoic philosophy. Acceptance is a very active word. Acceptance isn't passive. It's not about saying, oh, well, you know, what's the point? Why bother? No, no, not at all. It's not giving your attentive energy to things that you can't change but instead f focusing 
on what you can. It's, it's a really, I think, a tremendous way. I mean, the philosophers used to talk about the, looking at things through the three lenses, the long lens, reverse lens, and the wide lens. The long lens was really, you know, is this issue that, that's consuming me today that I'm really stressed about and worried about, anxious about? Am I even going to remember this in a year's time? If the answer is no, well, then, you know, why, why am I burning up over this today? And then, of course, the reverse lens, which it's very, very helpful in, in terms of relationships. You know, you know, how does this situation look like from the other person's point of view? And, you know, in, in what way uh, may they be correct? So it's, it's putting yourself in the other person's shoes when you're having a discussion or, or there's a, a conflict or a disagreement. And of course, that build that builds empathy and that builds understanding and it builds as well as builds more effective communication. And then thirdly, the wide lens. You know, there's so much, so much happens that we can't we can't control. Well, what can I learn from it? How can I grow? How can I become a little bit wiser, a little bit stronger, a little bit better? Um, and that's the, the, I mean, that's the journey of life. I mean, for me, Marcus Aurelius, when I discovered his book Meditations about eight or nine years ago, I mean, it's it's a wonderful self-reflective diary on on his time as as Roman emperor and it was never written as something to be to be read by by the masses but here was somebody who who had uh in in many ways in inverted commas he had it all he was the, the the big chief of the Roman empire he had everything available to him at the click of his fingers and yet he was really more concerned in how he could be a good person um, how he could live his own values, how he could add value to the world and how he could make a positive difference. And I think that's the opportunity we all have is to be our purpose in the world and make a difference in whatever way we can today. Not to wait till you're over the, the hills or till everything's perfect because the future, of course, it isn't guaranteed to any of us. But today, to be a bit kinder to those people around you to be more grateful, to be more hopeful, to be more present. And I think that's a gift to everyone in your life. And it's also a gift to yourself. That's a huge message for anyone listening. Please do check out the Vitality Mark, Dr. Mark Rose's new book, which is out with Gill Books. And a lot of what we talked about today is about self-awareness. And I know your book is, is excellent at identifying the gaps in your well-being and sort of bridging that intention to action. So make sure to check it out on Amazon or in shops. Also available on Audible soon, I think. Um, yes. But one last question from us two, Mark, and that is a question we ask everyone who comes on the show is, what does high performance mean to you? I think high performance is spending your day close to that ideal version of you. But I think high performance is something that is very dependent on the circumstances you find yourself in. So if somebody's going through a very tough time, you know, and there's maybe somebody sick in their family or some there's a challenging thing going on, whether it's at home or at work, high performance may simply being, as I say, staying in contention, simply allowing yourself to stay present, to show up, as I say, and to be there for others, to be there for yourself and to get through the tough times. And of course, when, when life is going well, high performance, I think, is about living your values. It's about staying humble and staying true to yourself and never forget where you came from. 
Dr. Mark Rowe, thanks a million for coming on. We we touched on a lot of things, everyday behaviors and how we can improve our well-being and having that connection with ourselves, but also others. So thanks a million. Really got a lot from this and hopefully everybody can check out your book and best of luck with it. I must say I've really enjoyed the conversation and I want to wish you both every possible ongoing success. And I, I really think that's, you know, it's conversations like this that, that really are going to create some more momentum to really make the world a better place one conversation at a time. I agree. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. 